Brian Collins, welcome back to the Future Champions podcast. Uh, we had you on last month and you were talking about some great moments in sport and you chose a boxing moment. So I've asked you to come back and you're going to talk about sport, but this time we're talking about something a little bit different. Can you tell me what it is? When I looked at the, the discussion points that we had, you were talking about various things. One of the things you mentioned was game changers and I took something a bit more personal this time. Um, I do love boxing, obviously, but I, I thought it'd be good to maybe have a chat around. They're commonly known as the Three Kings in the UK, and it's three football managers, all from the same generation, and more importantly, all from the same place, who changed football. And they're on this race to see who could be the first British, or first non-Latin club to win the European Cup. And that's Jockstein, Sir Matt Busby, and Bill Shankly. Jockstein was manager of... My club, the famous Glasgow Celtic. Um, Bill Shankly was uh, the manager of a club that I know that you love very much, Liverpool. And then obviously Matt Busby, who was a Manchester United manager. Bill Shankly was from Ayrshire, but not too far away. And Jockstein and um, Bill Shank- uh, Matt Busby, sorry, they actually came from three miles apart from each other. Uh, Matt Busby was from Bells Hill. And Jock Steam was from Burnbank in Hamilton. I think how I look at these three characters, because that's what they were, apart from giving us some of the greatest football quotes in football history, I mean, I've actually looked at a few of them up for you to, just to sort of, so you, you know who said these things, like um, Jock Steam, football with fans is nothing. Bill Shankly, people talk about football being like life or death, it's more important than that. I mean, <laughs> Some of the greatest sporting quotes of all time came from the mouths of these three Scottish guys. More importantly, all for the same generation. I mean, you look at the history. These guys weren't brought up in an academy, a football academy like your wonderful son Jaira. These guys were all minors down the pits, like a papa. And they came from a really hard, tough, working, impoverished background. Um, and they sort of made their way into football. None of them were great footballers. Jockstein did play for Celtic, but we signed him from a Welsh amateur club. Um, none of them were great footballers, but what they were, were great leaders. They were fantastic managers. Different from the managers you get now, but from, from fantastic managers. But all of them were chasing the same dream, which was success in European football. And for various different reasons, Jockstein became the one who succeeded and was the first one to win the European Cup. And I've seen a fantastic quote, which I thought was brilliant. It's a, it's a very famous Scottish reporter called Hugh McIlvanny. And I actually printed this off because I just wanted to read it to you, right? Because it's something you probably don't think of. Everybody knows that Celtic won the European Cup with 11 Scotsmen. It's the only time the European Cup's ever been won by 11 men for the same country. Hugh McIlvanny in his documentary about Busby, Stephen Shankly, the football men, the greatest manager in the history of game, Jockstein. You tell me a manager anywhere in the world who did something comparable with winning the European Cup with a Glasgow District 11. In other words, he won it with 11 guys for Glasgow, right? which is basically like a pub team. And they went to um, Lisbon and beat the fantastic Inter Milan who'd done so well. But I think there's more to the story in that, Stuart. I think if you look what happened to Manchester United and the Busby Babes, they were in course to win the European Cup the year before. And because of the Munich air crash, when I think it was eventually 14 of the players died in total um, in a plane crash, they 
may well have won the European Cup, but history history changes things, doesn't it? Celtic went on the following season and managed to win it, which was incredible. They also won the league title, the Glasgow Cup, which was a fantastic competition, the Scottish Cup and the League Cup. So they won every single thing that they'd entered. And it's the first title they'd won in seven years or eight years. So they weren't a good team the year before. For, for people who don't know much about the European Cup and the prestige behind it, I want to talk about that, but I want to go back a little bit further because Scotland is known for being or starting the first revolution of football. In, in 1872, there was a game Scotland versus England, mm-hmm. and England had a reputation of that uh, dribble, one-on-one playing style. Yeah. And then Scotland came and all of a sudden they started this passing and running game. Yeah. And That's true. England was completely shocked by it and they were destroyed in that game yeah. and it changed the game across the world. And when we talk about game changes, the actual game changed because of the Scotland, I guess, mindset. I think if you look back at the history of Scotland at that time, that it was really poor. Children had no escape. I mean, their lives were depressing. Kids were working down the pits at 14 year, year old, like, like her grandfather, Stuart. They had no escape at all, so their only escape that they had was a football, and they were playing, if you can imagine these old tenement-style buildings, um, with no toilets, one bedroom with a full family staying in it. The only escape they had was playing out the back garden. It wasn't a garden, it was a close, it was called or a court, and they were playing football, that's all they had. And it'd be 30 aside, you know, and this is where the passing game came from. This, this, and it is. It was. It did change football totally. I agree with you. And then the Latins and the the countries with sunny climates they took it on a new level. But it, if you look back at over that period of time, I mean, the first, the first FA Cup, the first English FA Cup was one we won was won by Queens Park, which is where Hamden. That's the Scottish team. They were the first team to win the English FA Cup. And Scottish football teams and Scottish football players went on to dominate the, not so much the European game, but definitely the British game. Players didn't travel. I mean, if you look at Man United's greatest players in history or Liverpool's greatest players in history, they're all Scotsmen. Mm. I mean, their most successful team were fully Scotsmen. That's changed a lot now for reasons we've discussed before. But yeah, they did change the, the, the way that football was played. And because they three managers that we talk about were brought up, on that sort of brand and style of football, along with the determination to live in such a harsh, poor environment, I think that's what made them great leaders of men. I also think as well, which was really important, is if you look at successful managers nowadays, the three you you know this it's they've got three year time uh, shelf life. Jose Mourinho goes into a club, buys loads of players, becomes successful, then they all fall out of him in the collapses, and then he moves on and goes to another club, right? And even he's a bit of a dinosaur now. Maybe you'd look at Jurgen Klopp, he's been at Liverpool for a while. Man United have had, what, six managers in 10 years. If you look at uh, Steam, is at Celtic for seven, 16, 17 years. Bill Shankly was at Liverpool for forever. Matt Busby was at Man United for 24 years, right? And during that 24-year period, he understand that football was revolutionising. He, he, I mean, you don't just build a team. He built about 15 teams to stay successful. It to continuously have to build a new team. Players' attitudes were changing from the late 40s into the 60s who were becoming celebrities. Guys like George Best were becoming poster boys in the late 60s and the early 70s. He still managed to take these players, the same as Alex Ferguson done as well, managed to take guys from 
way back when he started out at football and then get guys like Ronaldo and turned them into fantastic footballers because he understood the mentality of players and how they changed and were great man managers. They, they could evolve the way their teams evolved. I don't think managers are like that nowadays. Is that because the managers aren't like that or the clubs don't give them time to achieve? And I, I make that point because even Ferguson, another Scotsman, even he struggled and failed for a period of time that if he was in this current era of manager, he probably would have been sacked. Yeah, they were given time. Is that a, is that a, fa- a fatality in the approach to football now is that we don't give good managers time to become great? I think that's really, I think that's true. I think what's happened in football. I don't know if you do you know about the Bosman ruling. Have you heard of this? No. Mark Antoine Bosman changed football forever, right? And he was a no mark footballer. This guy wasn't a Cristiano Ronaldo or anything else. He was a second division footballer in Holland, I think, in Belgium. And he changed football forever because see, in the, the era we're talking about, the clubs and the managers had the power, right? When Dundee United were really successful in the 80s, they signed their players up in 15-year contracts. And even when a contract ran out, somebody still had to buy them, right? So Marc-Antoine Bosman took football to the European courts and it was um, basically under the guise of freedom of movement of employees, right? As soon as that happened, that changed football forever, right? So you know how players run their contract down now? Like Paul Pogba, for example, I've seen has decided he doesn't want to negotiate a new contract and now he just wants to wait until his contract runs out. And what that basically means is instead of a club buying him for £50 million or £100 million, they just wait until the, the summer transfer window when he's free and then they can, instead of spending all that money to buy him, they can just give him a massive pay packet. So now the power is in the hands of the players. So players do determine whether managers succeed. Whereas in old days, and I'm not even talking the old days, the Bosman ruling came out in 1991, I think it was. In the old days, you had to play for your manager because they would just sit you in a bench and you would just never play. And you were in a contract for 15 years and they wouldn't sell you. And that's what happened. It was kind of like slavery. It was like it was called the white, the white meat trade in, in the UK or Europe, right? Because players were just tied down to contracts and although they were getting paid, they had no voice, they had no, they had no freedom, they had no choice to do what they wanted. But the Bosman ruling put it too much the other way and players now hold all the strings. So managers aren't given time. Clubs want instant success because there's so much at risk financially because it is a business now. So if they're not instantly successful, they're given... Look at Watford. Watford have had 11 managers in eight years. 11 managers in eight years. That is insane. And if you go back to like Willie Mealy and guys like this and way back in the sort of 30s and 40s, Celtic Rangers and managers for 20 years, 25 years. They'd last six months now or a year. I mean, look at Ange Postacoglu now, right? He's a, the manager the now that I look at and think he's in the guise of these guys that we're talking about. He's got that sort of persona and personality. I don't know if you've seen some of the quotes that he made. We beat Rangers two weeks ago and see how these quotes that I'm talking about, life and death, football's more important than that, football with fans is nothing. Ange came out the other day after we beat Rangers and said, a lot of people walked in the doors tonight with problems or troubles and I hope that we just let them forget them for 90 minutes. That's the sort of thing that you want your manager to say. He's a brilliant, charismatic, charismatic character. He's in that sort of mould. But Guys like Mourinho and stuff like that, they're there. They, they get 100 million to spend, 150 million to spend. 
they don't, they aren't successful, they move on to the next club, then somebody else gives them £150 million to spend. It is. And if we go back to that era, and it was a golden age for football and it was a golden age for Scotland, and I want to go and take you uh, back to the start of the European Cup because for many listeners, obviously the ones who, who come out of Europe or Scotland or England, uh, have an understanding of the European Cup, but others don't. So could you give us an understanding of what the European Cup is. I'll tell you what the European Cup is and then I'll tell you what the Champions League is because the two of them are totally different things, right? The European Cup, when it was the thing to win, still the thing to win, was basically the best trophy you could win in club football as far as anybody in Europe was concerned. All the teams that won the league in their various different countries in Europe would enter their tournament and they'd be played on a Wednesday night and you'd get into a pot and you'd get drawn against a team and you'd play that team and if you beat them, then you get into another pot and get drawn against another team and you play them all the way to the final. So sometimes you'd have to beat great teams. Sometimes you wouldn't have to beat so great teams. You could draw maybe a team from Finland or something, right? But it was like a gladiatorial football tournament where clubs would fight it out all over Europe. And then eventually there'd be two standing and they'd go to a final. The final tended to be played in some foreign land that would never be played in the country of either of the two teams. And just teams support would go and watch hopefully you'd win the final now that's been changed to the Champions League because money's taken over and it doesn't work that way at all so the Champions League can have five teams from England in it right and they all get ports and ports of money in smaller countries like Scotland or Poland although they've got great clubs like Ajax or Feyenoord or Celtic or Rangers they have to go through a qualifying process just to get into the tournament Whereas teams from England, Italy, Germany and Spain and France just get a whole load of teams in it and they've not actually won anything. They can finish fourth in the league. Sort of watered it down a bit. It's not as good, but you still at the end of the day win the European Cup or the Champions League trophy. But it still is a premium tournament. But in older days, I preferred the, the old format. The old format was much better because the best team for the best country would win it. And what was your memory? What was your first memory of the European Cup? My first memory of the European Cup was nothing to do with Celtic. And don't quote me on this, but I did have an English team as well. And that was Nottingham Forest. Oh, wow. The reason I love Nottingham Forest was because Brian Clough is a character, the manager. Again, managers. I love managers, right? But they had some fantastic players. They had the first million-pound player playing for them at the time. And that was a guy called Trevor Francis. They had a fantastic Scotsman, a wee winger called John Robertson, who had not to become Celtic's number two many years later. Tony Woodcock. They had, just, they had some brilliant players. They won it two years in a row. That's when I started watching sort of European football. But there was other tournaments. At that point, Stuart, honest to God, I see Scottish football at that time, right? Sort of early 80s, Dundee United were a force. Dundee United beat Barcelona and went to a European final, Cup Winners' Cup. Aberdeen won the Cup Winners' Cup. Aberdeen and Dundee United were called the new firm. Celtic Rangers are called the old firm. They were called the new firm because they became these powerhouses. And that's because they had Alex Ferguson at Aberdeen and a guy called Jim McLean at Dundee United who would sign young players up in 15-year contracts and just not let them leave the club. So they had to play to get paid. So it was brilliant. But European football, Aston Villa, Nottingham Forest... Tottenham Hotspur were always really, really good in the Cup Winners' Cup because they never won the league in England, but they always won the FA Cup. So they'd always get into the Cup Winners' Cup in Europe, which was a sort of poor man's tournament, the, 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 the European Cup, but still a great tournament. 
I got to see, I'd never been abroad until I joined RAF, right? I got to see, like, news reports for all these beautiful cities and Rome and Milan and imagine going there to watch football. It was amazing. Brilliant. That was my state of world, European football. My actual first understanding of European football was firstly going to Scotland later on in my adult life and seeing Celtic Park riddled with words like Lisbon Lions. And for the life of me, I couldn't quite understand why you would name so much after a place that's not even in Scotland. And it's not until you really understand how significant that victory was that you understand why it's still celebrated today. I think some clubs are spoiled. Some clubs have won it a few times. I think there's something... See, in a way, there's something quite romantic. See what Celtic achieved, right? Over the great Matt Busby and Bill Shankler, these fantastic managers of these stellar worldwide football clubs. The fact that this is what I think about, I love about Celtic winning more than anything else. Everybody knows to be the only club ever to win a trophy, right? We are 11 players for the one city. There's something romantic and beautiful about that, right? to be the first British club, nobody can ever say that again. That's the thing. There's something quite romantic about being the first non-Latin club to win it, the first British club to win it, the only club to win it with 11 players for the same place. And see the fact that you've only won it once, that makes it quite romantic as well. <laughs> we still sing a song in 67 minutes at Celtic Park. If you go to YouTube and look at In the Heat of the Lisbon's the song called, and everybody in a nighttime game gets their iPhone out and they put their torch on. And we sang this song in the heat of Lisbon in 67 minutes because it was 1967 we won it. Nobody else does that sort of stuff, you know. I, I love that. It wasn't... We got to another two finals, right? Another two European Cup. We lost against Feyenoord. Got to a couple of semi-finals, all in the same era. I think it was about six years they got to two finals and two semi-finals in the European Cup. I want to go back and talk about those game changers in relation to their common traits. The thing about them was the only thing that they had in common was their geography of where they came from. They were three completely different characters. Busby was a very quiet man. Shankly, Shankly was a bit crazy, to be honest, right? He was very aggressive. He came from a sort of Ayrshire background, right, where it was a lot of the mines and he, he could never give up on football. Even when he left Liverpool, he still would come down to the training ground. Bob Paisley would be standing there with his tracksuit on trying to manage the team and Bill Shankly would appear and they would hunt him. They would basically say, come on, you need to leave now. And they would then come put on an Everton tracksuit and go to Everton's training ground and annoy their manager. He just couldn't let go and he died quite young. Steen was probably the best man-manager out of them all. Busby was a really humble, but he was an elder statesman compared to Arthur, because remember, he started way back in the 40s. He was a much more genteel, but a great manager. He nearly died in that plane crash, and he was going to leave football after it. But his wife said to him, you need to go back and you need to rebuild Man United. And that's why he done it and back and built a team that eventually won, won the European Cup in 1968 with, a, with his team. But Steam was a different character. Steam was 
he was strong, but he, he immediately grabbed players' attention and respect. Shankly sort of ruled with fear. He was a bit of a bully. He was a bit of a big head as well. Great manager, but Bill Shankly will tell you many occasions, if you watch a lot of his videos, he's the best manager in the world and that's it. But he was also, his, his most famous quote, he was the only British manager that watched, went and watched Celtic play in the European Cup final in Lisbon. And after the game, he walked down into the dressing room and he said to Jockstein, John, now you're immortal. And that, that line is infamous in Scotland. And Scottish football is mm. part of the fabric of Scottish football. And then Bill Shankly told Jockstein he was immortal because he was the first man to do it. So he was quite humble in that way. He also, although he was a Rangers fan when he grew up, Shankly, he was asked who was the biggest and best club in world football. And he said Glasgow Celtic. And he gave his explanations. And that was him as a Rangers man managing Liverpool. He said, tell me another club that has achieved nine consecutive league titles, won the European Cup, and they ruled off everything that Celtic won. He said, go and find me another club a successful Celtic, and then you can call them the, the most successful club in the world. He was quite humble about it, but he was, in his own ability, he was extremely confident. Matt Busby was totally different. His team was just a quiet man. But geography-wise, background-wise, toughness, strength, like a Papa Stuart, one of the men. Mm. You don't need to be the loudest voice in the room to be the most respected or the toughest man in the room. Uh, they were great men, but all different characters. It's that era of resilience. I think as well, each man was perfect for the club. If you look at Liverpool when Shankly took over, for example, they were in the second division. Right? Liverpool were a sort of a failing club and he was managing Preston, I think, at the time. Early sixties, and he was asked to go to Liverpool, and he looked at, and he, he talked. He went to Liverpool and looked around. He'd never been to Liverpool before, and he looked at the people, spoke to the fans, and realised they were very similar to the Scottish people. You, if you've been to Liverpool, you understand what it mm. means with that. Scousers are more like Scots than they are Southerners, you know. And he sort of fell in love with the area, and they thought there's something to build here. Matt Busby took on Man United. Man United were Man United. Jockstein took on Celtic and Celtic were failing. Rangers were dominating Scottish football and Steen took over. But Steen had, had a good grounding in Scottish football. He managed it to fail and managed it at Hibs. Um, he'd done really, really well. Both clubs won the Scottish Cup. He did, but he, and he played for Celtic. But the thing about, the, 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 here's a really important thing about Jockstein, right? Jockstein, when he was playing at Celtic, and he, he could have been the manager straight away and it had probably been the wrong time for him. But Celtic wouldn't give the manager's job to a Protestant at that point. And he left, and he then went on and sort of threw in the club's face his success elsewhere. And eventually they basically had to give him the job. But he was never truly accepted by the board that we had at the time. Although the fans loved him, you know, players loved him. But he, was never, but he talked about that quite a few times, about how he probably wasn't accepted the way he should have been, regardless of the amount of success he had. Do you think that Celtic can ever win the Champions League or effectively the European Cup rebranded again. No, because money's ruined football. I loved European football. That was my, the highlight of my life. The Champions League, honestly, see now, what's happened with the Champions League is, and you know this because you watch it, and I know you watch it, the same teams end up playing each other every, mm. every year. It's always the same teams that are left in the last 16, and they play each other. Do you know what I can't stand about football, especially European football? If you watch... Man United line up in the tunnel next to Barcelona. All the players know each other because they're all from the same countries, right? And they all stand there and hug in the tunnel before the game and high-five each other and have a little chat, right? 
You watch Celtic play, you watch Scottish football, you watch Hearts play Hibs at the weekend, right? And watch the two teams in the tunnel, see if they even recognise each other, acknowledge each other. Not a chance, right? You watch Celtic versus Rangers. They, they're close to having a punch up in the tunnel, never mind <laughs> high-fiving and talking to each other. That's the way I want my football to be. And see if Man United were playing Chelsea in the Champions League final in my back garden. I wouldn't want my curtains, Stuart, to watch it. I'm not joking. I just wouldn't, right? Um. <laughs> I just wouldn't. Because it's absolute nonsense. If, you, if a team that can finish fourth in the division can win the Champions League of Europe, how does that make any sense? It's just all about money. So no, Celtic can't win it again. But every now and again, we can get to a final, like a UEFA Cup, like we did in 2004 under Martin O'Neill. Things like that. And that's exciting. Yes, it is. Winning it once is beautiful. You know what I mean? That's beautiful. That's, I kind of like it, aren't we? How is Celtic travelling now? Since we talked last, Celtic weren't on top of the table of the Scottish Premier League. They are on top of the table now. How's a Scottish Premier League title looking in your eyes? At this moment in time, I would argue that anybody were the best team in the country, purely because there's only been one trophy won so far, and we won it. And we're top of the league, which proves we're the most consistent team in the league. We've conceded less goals than anybody else, and we've scored more goals than anybody else. And we've got more points than anybody else. Right? So, at this moment in time. But I would say, Stuart, heed a warning. It's so close that one mistake could cost it all. And this season is really, really important because we're talking about European football. The winners of the league in Scotland this year because their coefficient is better and their coefficient is a thing that you gather points. All countries in Europe gather points when they're successful in Europe and they win games and their national team does well. And because our national team's doing better, the qualifiers that I talked about that we normally have to go through, the winners of the league this year don't have to go through the qualifiers. They get straight into the Champions League which means you get £40 million. So this is all that everybody in Scotland is talking about at the moment. Rangers are really, really in deep financial trouble again. They're borrowing money again to try and pay off guys like Van Bronckhurst. The Aaron Ramsey signing, spending £3.5 million to lend a guy for Juventus for 12 games. It's insane. It's just it's financial suicide, but they're quite good at that. As you know, they've done it before. So they need to win the league just to get this money, and they've gambled everything on the basis to try to win the league. Celtic have went about their business really well. They've signed some fantastic Japanese players. A really good young English guy called Matt O'Reilly. Added to the likes of Tom Rogic and Callum McGregor. That's going to be tight. If we win it, Celtic will dominate Scottish football for a long period of time because Rangers will have to sell every asset that they've got because they're, they're financially, they're, they owe, they've lost £100 million in the last 10 years. If you think it this way, Rangers are £102 million in debt now. Celtic just posted a profit, a net profit, after buying players, paying wages, we've just posted a profit of £27 million. So the contrast between their debt and our, our financial nous of running a fantastic business, which what Celtic do, we will bury them if we win the league. They need that £40 million. It's going to be a very tense. It's funny how we... T- you don't win money and you don't win trophies in a balance sheet. You don't win it in a bank account. But this season is really, really important. More important for Rangers than it is for us. But if we want to bury them again and dominate, then we need to win it. So there's a lot of pressure on Ange. But we're looking good. 
We're playing amazing football, a beautiful brand of football. I love the manager, I love the players. I just hope. Because everybody, you know this, everybody laughed at him when he came. An Australian coming to Scottish football, what does he know about Scottish football, this sort of stuff? And a lot of derogatory comments. I would love him to ram that right up where the sun doesn't shine to a lot of people in Scotland. And the sun doesn't shine anywhere in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> I love hearing that. It's, it's magic. And I can say from day one, you were a believer, so you can hold your head up high. That's, that's not quite true. I asked you guys if it was any good and you told me it was, and then I was a believer. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I, I guess you you uh, you did some research. It may have just been asking yeah. the people you know from Australia, but he's a legend. I don't know if you've seen this right. I go to every game, as you know, right, and I've never seen him lose his cool. I've never seen him shout or rage when referee decisions are going against us. See, we played Rafe Rovers in the cup last week. You can hear him shout in the touchline. And what he was shouting was, why the, are you passing the ball backwards? Because he just doesn't believe in passing back. Yeah. He, just, he was shouting his head off because we were passing the ball back. I heard him yell those words, and you can hear it as clear as anything. And the player with the ball just froze. We weren't playing in Europe or against Rangers. We were playing Rafe Rovers. It sounded like he lost his absolute nut at people not following the process. It's not about yes. the result. It's about the process. And the yeah. Scottish Celtic crowd seemed to cheer straight away. They were like, yes. Yeah. Was that what did that? Yeah. Is that yeah. what happened? Yeah. They were, they were, they were, everybody was delighted to hear him shout. We were all having a right laugh in the stand. Just there was about 35, 40,000 people on the ground. It wasn't a sellout. But we could hear him. Everybody could hear him shouting. It just like, don't see you go to the gym. I go to the gym and I do a training session night with a lot of people and there's a punch bag and sometimes the music's playing away and then there's a silent part of the music and that's where you want to hit the bag, right? Because everybody hears it in the gym they go, oh, Brian's punching hard today, right? <laughs> that's what it reminded me of, right? It was as if he waited to, the crowd went silent and then he gave it we always might, he shouted, so everybody could hear him, you know what I mean? Yeah. Never waited to, the crowd was noisy, he waited till the crowd had fell silent. <laughs> it was brilliant. Brian Collins, thank you so much for sharing this game changer. Three incredible managers from a part of Scotland and the history of Scottish football infecting the entire world for the better. Uh, it's great to reflect on, isn't it? I think we digressed a bit away from that, but it's always good to do that, as we do. We go off, we go off on a tangent at times. Thank you for the chat, and we'll speak next month. I'll speak to you next month. Good to see you, Stuart.